2: Hello, I'm on the train. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Chorley, stuck on a train, unable to get into the studio to record this week's podcast, the first time this has happened in three and a half years and more than 200 episodes. I'm waiting in the studio to discuss what's happening in British politics, Rachel Sylvester, Times columnist, on how climate change is causing divisions in the Conservative Party as deep as Brexit, making her podcast debut the brilliant Janice Turner on whether sex strikes can ever work, plus Times political editor Francis Elliott on the newish political kids on the block. I don't know what they're going to say either, so let's sit back and listen to it together.
3: The Brexit Party has not produced a manifesto ahead of the European Parliament elections, but says it will publish one afterwards. Is that breathtaking cynicism or strategic brilliance? It's both, surely. I mean, this is quite extraordinary. Uh, I can't remember the last time a political party fought an election uh, with failing to have any sort of prospectus about what it would do. Uh, um, and and this, is, this is what Farage actually said when he was challenged about this, he said, This is a deliberate tactic being used by everyone else because they want to get away from having a proper debate about the extent to which our Brexit vote and the promises made to us in the general election have been betrayed, the extent to which we've been let down, the extent to which we've been humiliated. Thereafter, of course, we will talk about policies, but I have to emphasise this I will never ever use that word manifesto. I think that most people's word association, manifesto equals lie. I mean, this is kind of absolutely brilliant. So not only is is he helping himself to the fact that he's not going to have a manifesto, he is he justifying it on the equation that everybody else's manifesto is a lie. That, that I mean, that, it 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 just underlines the extent to which you know the rest of the political establishment is playing croquet and he's cage fighting. You know, he he has said that he went away and studied the the the, the Donald Trump election. He's obviously given it some deep thought. And one conclusion I think he's come to is that you know, all the niceties that we have about how elections and democracies should work are just they're up for grabs. You don't have to you don't have to have a manifesto. And in a sense, you know, why sh- why should they have a manifesto? Mm. What's the point? I mean, you know, I'm he's saying. right, isn't he? I mean everybody puts these things in. I mean, you know, populists previously have just made promises that they can't keep why not make make no promises at all and then you can't break them
4: and the problem is it's the exactly what's happened with the whole brexit debate so the referendum in 2016 had no definition of brexit so it allowed people to project onto that whatever they wanted and it was a negative vote about anything you know the status quo about the establishment and what farage is cleverly cynically doing is allowing people to is deliberately creating a vehicle for protest vote Um, but but in actually quite a dangerous way because then somebody who's actually got to run run the country manage brexit deliver brexit has to work out what it means and it's never going to be possible to do that without half a lot of people feeling it's either a betrayal or a breach of trust. So it, the problem is politics and government depends on facts and reality. And Farage and the populace are selling fantasy. And those two worlds just don't meet.
3: <laughs> Except they do meet at the polling booth. But
4: they meet at the polling booth. But in reality, yeah. they've got to be delivered. You know, something's got to happen. Why would you have a manifesto of any
5: sort before this election, before the European elections? Because... Quite honestly, it's a proxy referendum again, isn't it? That's how he sees it. And whatever you think of him, whatever monstrous human being or Trumpian character he is, he understands the proposition that is being voted on, which is, for his people, um, Brexit hasn't been delivered. So who cares what he thinks about climate change or education or the health service? This is all about...
4: Delivering Brexit, and, and he I has think he's got a commitment on Brexit, which is a No Deal. Yeah, and Brexit, I think that he understands. He
5: understands what is going on, but, and it's the rest of the parties that aren't really, as we've seen, the kind of chaos in places like Peterborough are not really seeing seeing the proposition clearly.
3: It is actually the case that the Conservatives also do not have a manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> do <laughs> Labour
4: have one. I yes. think Labour do sort have a manifesto.
3: Sorry, bless them, because you know they they really <laughs> stick to the rules. They're still playing <laughs> croquet merrily <laughs> away. But uh, but yeah, no, no. I think I think. Um, I think Theresa May didn't quite fancy drawing up a manifesto of, a, of her own, but but yeah, I mean, I I just do think a kind of pass has been sold if if we let you know, and we appear to be completely content to let him get away with not having any kind of prospectors.
4: Uh, well, it's like not wanting sa- to be challenged by the BBC yeah, on historic I've, statements, yeah, and you know, actually, what are your values? What do you believe? Do you stand by that? Is a completely legitimate line of questioning, and what he's doing is he's trying to demonise what he calls the mainstream media so that he can't be held to account. Yeah. It's all about vilification. But the,
3: the more we howl, the kind of happier he is in a sense. Mm. I mean, it just you know, it proves that that he's doing something right. Every every protest that we make, he, you know, he just
4: we're bringing facts to the cultural war. <laughs> <which> that guy <laughs> said with um, yes. Trump, yeah. uh, one of the American journalists, and it is N- that, ne-
3: never a good idea. Perhaps yeah. I mean it's not our you know, necessarily our, our job to, to to fight, but his opponents certainly need to wake up to them, what he's doing, and it, it is it is absolutely brilliant. I mean, you know, <laughs> you wonder how far they can go. You know, why bother having elections at all? I mean, mm-hmm. come on. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but
5: surely they're going to have a manifesto for election aren't they? or if they if they we get to that point well i mean it seems to me that the two main parties labour and the tories they are not going to get back to normal business until we are through some form of brexit until there is either mrs may's, may's deal's gone through or there's been a referendum or there's been some sort of uh statement or clearance of this whole blockage and so you know, sure. until then uh, why would he not go on this platform? I, I just I think he is a genius at this at this whole debate. Now he's the only person who's got the bull by the horns. I mean, he's appalling. I don't support him at all. But he has this clarity, um, and the places uh, like where I come from in Doncaster, they completely get that. I mean, there's been a sort of um, a shock among the uh, London media going up to places like Pontefract for example and Doncaster and to see him do rallies I'm not surprised at all well
3: give, give, given given that given the last three months or even six months of you know political ridiculous stasis game playing nonsense at Westminster I don't think anybody can be remotely surprised that you know there is an anti-politic sentiment out there and you know surprise it's no no particular surprise that Nigel Farage is the immediate beneficiary of it being outside the whole system you know but and you're right as soon as you know as soon as the brexit party is going to have a very good election no doubt uh and then they will be straight on to the kind of westminster um shtick and i think the air will go at the balloon reasonably quickly and i you know what i think kind of punters also know what they're doing i think they kind of i think they know that that this is a sort of this is a free kick
4: do you think it they, they they, they're, they're it? quite
3: educated into into mm. how to do protest politics yeah. the uk you know does you think it affect what happens with Brexit, whether or not we get a harder Brexit or a
4: softer Brexit I, or a referendum? And Does this have any impact?
3: Well, Crispin Blunt has already been out of the block saying that, you know, we need to do seat deals with the Brexit party. You know, the, the extent to which the Tory leadership campaign is now informed by how do you deal with Nigel Farage? Mm. Do, you, do you deal with him or do you... Uh, confront him and mm. and 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 deal with. I mean, you know, I mean, how 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 do you kind of cope with him? So he's already kind of colouring the the the, and will probably, and to some extent, determine the na- the the winner of the Tory so leadership he's next contest. Prime Minister, like Prime Minister is he? Yeah. <laughs> there is a very good and argument of saying he's the most influential like... politician of the modern age. you, you know he basically. He did. He did this before. He delivered Brexit by forcing David Cameron to have a referendum mm. in the first place. Mm. It's
4: sort of influence from the side. Yeah,
3: it's kind of, and it's.
4: So does it make it more like he who's never a won Brexit? a part
3: policy? Yes, I think it probably yeah. does. Uh, or, or revoke, actually. You know, it, it sort it, of goes
4: it, to the one side or the other. The binary
3: choice is becoming, mm. you know, forced upon us.
4: Mm. So when are we going to find that out? What's going to happen? Do you think? When's uh, the crunch moment? Uh, we keep having all
3: these crunch weeks. <laughs> this is the D Day today. Yeah. I think that. Uh, a Tory leadership election cannot be far off. Mm. I think that that sets up a um, another confrontation with Brussels around October. Uh, I don't think this Parliament will ever countenance no deal. And therefore, I think a general election on the premise of no deal or revoke is um, almost inevitable.
4: I have spoke to a cabinet minister last week who said exactly that scenario, except at the end they said that the new hard Brexit leader would much prefer to have a referendum in that situation than a general election. Because say Boris or Dominic Raab comes in, they've just got into number 10, do they really want to risk being prime minister, their whole premiership on a general election? And wouldn't it be more sensible for them at that point to cauterise the issue of Brexit, have a referendum on it, on, as you say, no deal or remain um, yes, but, but you've got
3: Farage crying blue murder and betrayal at the, in, you know, on the other the end, referendum. and and and, and, mm. and how do you get how do you get Although to the
4: Farage at one point advocates oh, another yes, no, no. friend? So. <laughs> Again, you're bringing facts forest. to the culture
3: war. I yeah. mean, you know, come on, consistency—that's yeah. another of those old-fashioned croquet <laughs> rules that we don't bother with anymore. Um, mm. I think it's not impossible, but I think that you know, and to contradict myself, I think. To, but to, to, to get to the leadership, I think they, the candidates will probably have to rule out a referendum right. and whether or not they can... Well, they, 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 might they also have to rule out a general
5: election? They're going to have to rule out quite a lot, How does mm. it fall at the moment in terms of a majority to, who would vote tomorrow for a referendum?
3: Uh, in the House of Commons? Yes. I think you wouldn't get much beyond 200, would right. you? Or two hundred fifteen max? more
4: Tories, wouldn't you? Yeah, a hell
3: of a lot more Tories. I mean, right. you see some Tories nibbling at it.
4: Mm, uh, it's definitely moving in that direction. But right? it's
3: well short of a parliamentary majority.
5: Yeah. I mean, I've got to Unless, the position yes. now where I... I just care about social fabric and I, I wonder if a lot of other people are starting to feel the same, that unless we find some way of finally settling this mm. issue, things are, we're going to rip apart. I mean, I care about that far more than whether we stay or leave now. Mm. I just want there to be a way of moving on to normal politics again and talking about social care or the environment or education. And 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 I was against the second referendum in the beginning. Um, because I thought it was you know, sort of some version of democracy, but now I think if there's a if there's some sort of well, um, the
3: just make it stop party. Yeah,
5: I, yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> quite a lot. Of, quite a lot I of mean, I, I've actually started to feel for the first time in my life with, that. This idea of a strong man, and it would be a man, a strong man government like we had in Erdogan in Turkey or Trump in America, there is an appetite growing in the in the confusion and wreckage of Brexit, mm. and I think unless we get things back on a stable footing, a real of what we used to be before, that's where we're going to be. And Farage, of course, you know, is the mm. is a, a major candidate for that role. So need, and the yeah. problem
4: is neither side are happy, so the Brexiters see the withdrawal agreement as a fudge they can't accept the remainers aren't happy either and each side has become further more and more polarized it's very yes. hard to see how you reach a resolution without well i think the
5: referendum and and a referendum in which the, all the options are on the table really i mean everyone says it'll be like uh, mrs may's deal or, or or um, or remain, or Mrs May's deal and leave. I think there has to be some sort of um, single transferable vote kind of thing where you can say your first, second, and third options, and then we can finally um, resolve it. Mm.
4: Mm. Very true. So moving on to non-Brexit subjects, actually. The photo of David Cameron hugging huskies in the Arctic symbolized his brand of modernization. He replaced the Tory torch with a conservative tree and told the electorate they could vote blue, go green. But one of Theresa May's first acts as Prime Minister was to scrap the Department for Energy and Climate Change and now the Tories are deeply divided over the environment between interventionists and free marketeers. I think what's interesting is this whole debate about climate change, the environment, air quality has become almost a proxy for the battle for the future of the Tory party with the more sort of modernisers, outlooking, open... Tories uh, wanting to do more on the environment and the more traditional, E.R.G. side um, opposing it, and it's also interesting that there's a there's a real debate. It goes to the heart of what the Tory party is. So should the Tories be intervening, using the power of government to make the world a better place, or is it all the sort of laissez-faire free marketeer um, Liz Truss talking about? You know, we not don't want. meddling in people's lives, telling them not to use wood-burning stoves, goves, whatever she calls them. Um, And there's also an issue about um, cost of living. So people like Rob Palfon, who's one of the kind of blue-collar Tories who wants to... um, He's campaigned on fuel prices and that kind of thing. He says this is a sort of metropolitan issue and it doesn't go down well in working-class seats like his. Uh, He thinks we've got to be focusing on the cost of living, uh, not sort of Um, middle-class environmentalism balanced on the backs of the poor. Mm. So this is about much more Mm. than the environment. Mm. The other thing that I think is interesting, I was looking at the research when I was writing my column this week, is that there's a link. The people who voted for Brexit are also more likely to be sceptical on... Climate change and the reality of climate change, and mm. it plays into this whole issue of values which and, generation. is, and generations yeah. and education, and yeah. it's um so it's become a sort of totemic issue in the Tory Party. Well,
3: do you remember before Brexit, the, the the thing that Labour was vulnerable on under Ed Miliband was actually you know his commitment to, to the green agenda and you know green crap as David Cameron used to to, to call it, and. And, I, you know, I was struck by the rapidity and the vigour with which Mil- um, Corbyn and, and Macdonald leaned into the Extinction Rebellion stuff. Uh, and they, they really kind of like, they really, really embraced it. And I think they did that mostly because they're exquisitely sensitive to the Greens. Mm. You know, they hate the Greens on, on their patch, and they, 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 in their, in their universe, actually, the Greens are a much bigger threat to them yeah. than the Lib Dems. That's
4: their biggest um, seepage of voters. Yeah. is from the remain voting Labour people to the Greens. Yeah,
3: and and so that's so you know, there there is absolutely no chance that Labour's won't m- m- won't be firmly on the sort of climate, you know, climate change mitigation measures. And there are some sort of chunky stuff coming down the track. We know we're going to have to be asked to do some things that we don't want to do, like eat less meat you know i've got to get rid of my diesel car i know that you know it's annoying but i'm going to have to do it um, and it's going to cost you know
4: mm. change our boilers all sorts all of things of yeah, yeah really kind of
3: nasty things that, that 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 we've been putting off but we know are coming and mm. yeah they will alienate a lot of kind of certainly low income people mm. uh, and and it's another kind of opportunity as it were for a blue collar blue wave populist mm-hmm. outfit trumpian perhaps Mm. to 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 get in there and you're absolutely right and then the conservatives are completely split on it i mean they you know it was it was supposed to be the issue which reconnected conservatives with their remain leaning metropolitan voters Mm. and you know that's how it was built by gove that's you know the whole that was the whole political plan if you remember um We don't hear quite so much about that anymore.
4: And there's something very sort of small-c conservative about sustainability and the environment. I mean, it worked
3: for them because it kind of linked them to, you know, the Countryside Alliance in a certain degree. I mean, obviously, there's certain...
5: I don't think it's quite as stark as you're painting it, really. I mean, the Times has our very wonderful campaign on air quality. But for quite a few years now, the Daily Mail, right at the heart of the sort of Tory vote, has been running a campaign on plastics, which mm. has been really successful. Litter picking, clearing up and so on, which, you know, goes back to a sort of old fashioned agenda of cleaning up your community. But also, i they were very, very on the top of the um, of the push to plastic bag tax and, and things like that so i think among ordinary voters right leaning you know sort of in centre voters would probably vote tory is is a sense of the environment being important i think if you posed it about climate change and polar bears and and um, uh, Extinction Rebellion, they wouldn't be up for it. I think of, on a broader level they mm. are pro it and I don't think they're against things like little nudges for example like on um, Michael Gove some of his things on recycling plastic bottles and mm. and uh, straws or, straw, yeah I don't think mm. they would agree with this trust. I think she's being quite sort of trollish about mm. it saying oh it doesn't matter about your plastic straws. Lots of people really care
4: about this stuff mm. and they're not all on the left But I think from Theresa May's point of view she seems more comfortable with that kind of David, At- David Attenborough type mm. environment then more of the Greta Thunberg, things that are going to cost us as consumers, push up energy prices, yeah. reduce flying, push up the cost of driving. And it's those, um, if you think about the sort of white van man um, person that Robert Halfon and people are trying to appeal to that's not the kind of policy they she's doing but there are some other Tories who feel you have to go much further and, and embrace yes. both sides of it well
5: I think that what what the Tories if they had any sense would do is try to help people lower down I, I've just changed my uh, pe- uh, my diesel car because um, I think it comes in quite or oh, is it coming already that you Boles. call yeah, you can't, you can't drive through the uh, congestion zone at any time. of. So I've got a hybrid car now, I'm feeling very virtuous. But <laughs> I was just thinking about people who really need their cars, mm. to dr- who have to drive into that zone.
3: It's 12.50 a day.
5: Yeah, isn't it's 12.50 a day, but also to replace the car is a yeah. significant investment. And all over the country are these kind of, you know, I haven't seen pictures of them yet. I'd love to see a bit of all these diesel cars sitting forlornly and unloved. You know, everybody's getting rid of them. Mm. But there could be some mechanism for supporting people a bit better. On and these that's what oh, I things. think the, gov-
4: the Tory party isn't very comfortable no. with government, state support, state subsidy for changing. Oh, yeah. They want it all to be nudges and tidying plastic, things without a cost. Yes. And actually either the taxpayer or the tax system. But then you've got the, the Green New Deal
3: in America, which is like a kind of recipe for absolute massive state intervention. Yeah. Is, is is seen by the right as a sort of like Trojan horse to, to completely kind of re- rewrite the rules and of, uh, you know, of, of, of massive government subsidies. So... Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it is... It's, it, it, clearly, we're going to be asked to do ever more politically difficult things as yeah. this crisis unfolds, uh, and that is going to shape politics mm. in more profound ways than Brexit, I think.
4: There's also a sort of um, generational thing here, I think. So, as with Brexit, the young are much more concerned about climate change, and the the onward research recently, which... Um, Found that the average age at which people tip over into voting Tory is now fifty-one, up from forty-seven at the last election. And if the Tories can't win over some of the school strikers, you know, some of the extinction rebellion people, um, they got it. They've got to get some younger voters from somewhere. And if they look like they're turning their back on, you know. Europe they're turning their back on climate change they're looking increasingly um, out of touch with the sort of that younger generation that's going to be very dangerous for them politically.
5: I wonder about the young though because um, on the one level there are all these incredibly well I mean I have children of 23 and 21 so I sort of see that generation coming into my house and so on um, and, and on one level they are very concerned about it and I just wonder though about the sacrifices that generation is willing to make because a, in my in my experience, they do not recycle. If all the, beer, all the <laughs> beer cans in my bin, even on that small example, are they prepared to give up all their devices? Are they prepared to give Didn't up? Did you all... know
3: music streaming? Are they going consumes to give more up more CO two than than having a yes. record? It's amazing are they that... going
5: to give up travel? <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, because mm. all the
3: power that you need to do all the servers to keep it going. The, the, They're very very ungreen the, music streaming.
5: The most extraordinary statement um, by Caroline Lucas the other day, and it really made me sit up. Um, Shop was that we're not supposed to fly um, except once every five or six years. And I thought, my goodness, I will give up meat. I will give up my car. I will walk everywhere. But the idea of spending the rest of my life in Cornwall, I mean, Cornwall's wonderful. Oh, Scotland's right. wonderful.
3: <laughs> Pulling to Cornish readers.
5: But, <laughs> no, I, actually, I spent all my Have childhood holidays. are available. <laughs> but, you know, the idea that we won't, be allowed to travel the world, and and I've I've travelled a lot already, so I don't. It's not a great loss for me. But young people have this enormous appetite to see the world, and are they really going to to do that? I don't yeah. know.
2: Well, that's absolutely fascinating. I'm sure I'm still stuck on a train. They'll be back after this short break. If you enjoy listening to Times journalists talking about politics, but would like to do it while it's sea you're in luck. Imagine me and Danny Finkelstein, plus Prue Leith, Pam Ayres, Armando Inucci and Alan Johnson on a cruise ship. No, it's not a brand new reality TV show, but the brilliant literary festival at Sea 2020 on the Queen Mary 2. For details of this trip, organised by Times Expert Traveller and to book your place on board, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash litfest 2020 and quote the word Times when booking to get access to exclusive Times events.
5: In America, actress and Me Too activist Elisa Milano has urged women in America to take part in a sex strike to protest against a new abortion law in the state of Georgia. It worked in the Greek comedy Lysistrata when women team up to bring about the end of the Peloponnesian War. So is denying sex a useful campaign tactic and could it maybe even break the deadlock over Brexit? But let me first say that the the laws changing in Georgia are pretty extraordinary. I mean, what the state legislature is doing is, is is a challenge to Roe versus Wade and the legitimacy of abortion altogether. And it's going to mean life sentences for women who do it. There's some talk of them not being able to leave the state if they want an abortion. Uh It is a really, really serious issue. But it was just an extraordinary thing that this actress, who's very big in Me Too, said that what women should do, and I I guess she's talking about heterosexual women, is not have sex with men until uh, the uh, Georgia state uh, government uh, does something about it. Um, uh, I don't know what people think about that. I mean, on one level, there is the attitude that uh, it's a terrible thing that... Uh, sex is something women give to men, and that we that we wouldn't enjoy ourselves, and therefore we have to stop if we stop doing it, it's kind of self-defeating. But And
4: also that men are the people who are going to have the power to make the decision over this. Yes. Actually, you mm. know, if women were in politics, then, then it wouldn't be up to the men to decide.
5: No, it, but there is also, um, there's quite a long precedent, for, besides um, in Greek comedies, for sex strike. Um, in 2003, Lehmann uh, Gabawi uh, organised a, a sex strike in Liberia to end the Civil War, and she ended up with a Nobel Peace Prize and in Kenya in 2009 uh, women enforced a sex ban until the political infighting ceased Uh, and then there was a stable government within a week and in the Philippines a sex strike led to peace in a violence plagued island so you know so with Brexit who's
4: not having sex with this is the the Tory whips are going to be denied sex
5: by the MPs well well, I don't know how would you think that might pan out in Parliament Can,
3: can can I make a suggestion Yes. well an observation yes there's there's quite a lot of onanism actually in Brexit. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure how a sex strike is going to hit the the worst offenders. Yeah. I I think a gazebo ban would actually be
5: <laughs> possibly a gazebo just, ban just just
3: stop them from appearing on television.
5: Right. Yeah. They're not sex allowed. with
3: themselves that they most particularly. Yeah. That <laughs>
5: narcissism ban. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. What if what if Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party had a policy of like we're not having sex until until Brexit's delivered? I think the Spartans
4: are more interested in sovereignty than sex. Yeah. That's aren't true. They? Isn't that's it? Yeah. There is a sort of serious point here which is that about, a permanent secretary said to me the other day, there's this sense in Whitehall, they keep talking about this thing called learned helplessness, which is a sort of psychological theory drawn up by this man Martin Seligman, I think it was in the 60s, where he did these experiments on dogs, which would definitely be banned now, but he put two groups of dogs, the first group, um, they were trained to turn off an electric current by pressing a lever, the second set of dogs didn't know how to do that and then both sets were put into this sort of Mm. box with an electrocuted floor and the ones that knew how to stop the pain of the current pressed jumped out of the box to escape it and the ones that didn't just lay down and whimpered and what this permanent secretary says is that's what it feels like in Whitehall that they the civil servants feel helpless to do anything with their political masters and making a total mess of Brexit Mm. there's no domestic policy going on the voters I think also feel helpless i mean the idea was that we're sort of laughing about the sex threat but actually people want to be able to do something Mm. to have a sense of re-empowerment about they feel totally disempowered over this Mm. whole debate and i think that's one of the problems
3: maybe there should be more sex (laughs) (laughs) you actually i mean well under forest
4: premiership there is not
3: there is certainly not enough interaction between the leave and remain tribes Um, it's extraordinary how little they interact with one another
5: well, there was if a, the they, Labour if they Party. Had sex,
3: if, if more Leavers had sex with the Remainers, perhaps we would actually kind of get
4: a well, customs <laughs> union baby. <babies.
5: laughs> I would think that the Remainers would be less likely to want to have sex with Leavers. Didn't they do all? They the, do. They're they so did all these um, yeah. surveys, which show that you Remainers are more hostile to people on the other side than.
3: Yes. I'd yeah, stick. and
5: then the, and the Labour Party, of course, has those um, t-shirts that say "Never kissed a Tory." Yes, which is
3: awful.
5: Yeah, it's awful. The idea that uh, how
3: incurious.
5: Yeah, exactly. So, Tory Curious, it's a new sexual preference.
2: (laughs) It's all right, I'm nearly there, the train's just pulled into Waterloo. What do you mean they've finished? Well, a huge thank you to Francis Elliott, Janice Turner and Rachel Vesta for holding the fort in my absence. If you want to listen to more of this hugely professional audio content, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, ACAST, Spotify or wherever you listen. And let us know what you thought of what they've been discussing while I've not been there by emailing redbox at thetimes.co.uk. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.